We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 465 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and unfortunately, I did have a cancellation this week, and I do appreciate everybody's patience, as obviously, when I do have things like that happen, I kind of have to just couple a show together with different things that either I've been writing or working on. So today is a bit of a mixed bag of different pieces that I've been working on the last few days and some of the news of the day. So what you do have to look forward to with this show is I'm going to start with some pieces from that article I wrote about Sergio Busquets, kind of my ode to Sergio Busquets, if you will. So it's not a beautiful piece of poetry like the ode to Ferenc Plotko back in the 20s, back in the glory days of Barcelona's 1920s era, but it is something about me saying, well, thank you, Sergio Busquets, as he ends his time at Barcelona for the next few weeks. So we'll start with that, and then it's on to the rivalry between Barcelona and Espanyol, an historic setting, and why that rivalry matters so much. And then I will end, as promised, with the carryover from those listener questions that I didn't have time for on the earlier show this week. But I do start with Busquets, because as I said in the article, and I'm basically going to read a portion of it here for you if you didn't get a chance to read it, I found that looking at the highlight compilations from Busquets, it's kind of what started my mind and my heart kind of feeling and trying to figure out what that meant. And I do find it hard to watch those Busquets highlight reels, because there are so many tricks and such but those are all happening in the blink of an eye. And as someone who edits video highlights for a living as well, I find that those defensive midfielders, those midfielders, or even those center backs who just have one moment, a little tackle, it's so difficult to even piece together 30 seconds of highlights because it takes one to two seconds for a highlight. So you're talking about you need at least 15 highlights for every 30 seconds. Whereas a goal scorer, well, you can fit in 45 seconds, four or five goals. If each of those is... 15 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever. So I find that cutting those defensive midfielders and coupling those highlight packages never really tell the true story of it. Because I said, those are all in the blink of an eye. And usually those are followed by a 10 to 15 yard pass to somebody close by that you don't need to continue that highlight. But a pass under duress is more impressive. Of course, we know that. So a 10 yard pass, 60 meters from goal is still going to look like a 10 yard pass to most watching. Most will pick up on the quality it takes to handle pressure. But more often we talk about the times when players can't handle the pressure. It winds up being an insult as opposed to a compliment. It's one of the reasons why it took most Goulets three months to figure out that Andres Christensen has been such a huge player for Barcelona with the ball, as much as he's been a huge player for Barcelona defensively without the ball when Barcelona are defending. 
So my story with Busquets, I think, goes back to the same story with everybody else. I came up in football just a bit earlier than those who came up idolizing the 08 to 2011 edition of Barcelona. But I can tell you that no one that I was around ever talked about becoming the next great Dimitrio Albertini or Claude McElhaney or Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira or Gennaro Gattuso. Defensive midfielder is not a fun position for kids to emulate. And a large part of that is due to the tactical nuance of the position. When I was coming up, just the biggest kids just played not even defensive midfielder, but it was more of a sweeper. And at the top of your diamond was, I guess you call him a defensive midfielder. But again, it was just some big bruising body that could win the ball. And I think a large part of why kids don't emulate defensive midfielders is not only is it not a fun position, but it's also due to the tactical nuance of that position. Sure, there are out-and-out wingers and there are inverted wingers, but a winger gets to the top by either scoring or assisting goal. And the top, top ones do both. For defensive midfielders, it's a lot more about your function in your team and how well you protect your back line. The group that usually gets the credit for keeping the opponent out of your net. So what are you actually complimenting defensive midfielders for at all? Yet, we can see that the true majesty of the iconic Barca teams in the 21st century, we can see them best through the eyes of Busquets. It wasn't just one game for Busquets. It was every game. And, you know, the longer I wind up watching football, the longer I'm able to say, the better I'm able to say consistency at the highest level is the most impressive thing. Watching one amazing goal, of course, that's what the Puskas Award is for, or watching even a season or two where a player is on the top of their game is certainly exciting, and it's what wins trophies in moments. But for those who wind up ending their careers with more trophies than everybody else, that's the consistency that makes guys real legends. Puskas missed a grand total of 18 games due to injury over the course of his illustrious career. That is absolutely bananas. Even this season, he ranks on the team in minutes behind only Ter Stegen, Lewandowski, Gabi, and Kunde. Durability is something we don't talk about enough in football. Well, I mean, only in the bad ways, like with Dembele and Pedri when guys aren't durable. But it's not a skill or a talent, it's something to be admired. But it certainly needs to be admired over the course of 15 years, because Busquets showed up for work and usually played the full 90 minutes of football once or twice a week for 15 years. But it's still doing him a disservice to just focus on his availability. I'll keep calling him the most influential defensive midfielder in history. I find that to be a safer conclusion than just calling him the best defensive midfielder in history. But Pep Guardiola and his midfield duo of Xavi and Anesta gets credited quite a bit with solving football, being at the core of a project that took the game to new tactical heights than it had ever seen before, pushing the ideas of Jack Reynolds and Venus Michaels and Johan Cruyff to just new heights, with Busquets literally at the center of it all. But it was Busquets' technique, skill, and tactical awareness why I call him the most influential defensive midfielder in history. He was something that football fans had never seen before at that position and likely will never see. And the likes of Marco Senna for Spain and Yaga Torre and Javier Mascherano for Barca knew that it was his spot. The argument of replacing him is all about replicating what he has done so well and still does at the highest levels, to the point where anybody who tries to look around to find the quote-unquote next Busquets will fail without fail. Has anyone ever been better with their technique on 25-yard or more long balls in the last 15 years? Like, yes, there were great ones like Andre Pirlo and the like, but did he do everything that he did? Has anyone been better at receiving between center backs and then dictating the tempo of the game from that position? Has there ever been a defensive midfielder who had all that passing acumen and technique who could also defend and consistently win the ball back the way he's done it for so many years and cut out so many counterattacks preemptively? and defend on the front foot when your team has so much of the ball. You can point to moments with him, especially over the years where, of course, those statements aren't true, and they're less true the later you go in his career. But like Messi, Busquets' legendary status, as I already said, comes from his longevity. He was one of the best longer than everyone else. 
to the point where Kool-Aid are left wondering if another player will be able to do what the 34-year-old did just this year for the team. And while things have been frustrating for the last few seasons, I will remind you that Biscuit's one of the winningest players of all time. He has 31 trophies just for FC Barcelona. Eight, shortly nine La Liga trophies, three Champions Leagues, three FIFA Club World Cups, three UEFA Super Cups, seven Copa del Reyes, and seven Spanish Super Cups. That kind of winning doesn't happen. And that kind of winning warped what Kool-Aid expected from their club. He leaves as a captain of a place where he played over 700 official games, putting him on a short list with Messi and Xavi as a reminder of his longevity and his importance to this club. I'm not sure how in the cards this was when it was decided, but the season culminating in one of the more meaningful friendlies that we've seen in some time is pretty interesting taking place on June 6th. Unfortunately, the team is traveling to Japan, not doing it in the Camp No, but it will be Iniesta's last professional game playing for Vissel Kobe, Busquets' likely last appearance for Xavi, and it will be Xavi as manager on the sideline for Barcelona. So I find that to be a pretty poetic end for, well, the playing careers of two of the three of them. The only thing that now we wonder moving forward is, does Busquets' future change what happens with Messi or Jordi Alba? I think indications are the answer is no, that Jordi Alba has one more year in his contract, and he's due to make a lot of money, and there's no reason for him to leave at the moment. And the whole Messi thing, bringing him back, is all about Messi and the club and those two and their relationship. Because if Busquets and Messi were tied together, then Busquets would have left when Messi was leaving the club and forced out of the club. Or Busquets, yes, he did push off some of his deferred payments, but he certainly would have taken an even bigger salary reduction or whatever it would have taken to make sure that Messi could be at Barcelona. Busquets might have done it. But obviously, he's his own person. He's his own professional. And it makes sense financially why players don't do that. It can certainly turn your career and the rest of your career sideways if you do something like that. And it is interesting, too, that he's announcing his retirement at this point in the season because announcing it now, yeah, I don't mean to galaxy brain it too much, but it may hurt Barca in negotiations. Barcelona always try to strive to have, as much as they have failed at times and pushed their players out with their entorno, they also try, at least for their legends, unlike Real Madrid, to show them off in the sunset in the proper ways. That's what makes the Messi thing so complicated. But again, announcing it now might hurt Barcelona because everyone else knows that now, without Busquets, Barcelona aren't willing to wait that extra year. Maybe they do want to go out and get that pivot, get that defensive midfielder now. And maybe they are going to have to spend every single dollar on just that position that isn't being already taken for Messi. So who knows about that? And the last point here, I don't know how it will affect Barcelona. Honestly, no player makes me say, I don't know, like Busquets. Even now, when, when Barcelona struggle, you say, oh, Busquets wasn't there and Barcelona did struggle because, again, other than the Villarreal game, Every game that Barcelona didn't have Busquets, control seemed to be a major issue for them. Then he comes back in, and there is certainly a level of control. Plus, in the Liga, they certainly had a defensive stability and solidarity together that made it all make sense. So I don't really know what Barcelona are going to look like without Busquets. But my best guess is that the defense will struggle mightily without him. And I think that you could also see more varied scorelines, where games maybe 5-1 win for Barcelona one game, and then a 2-0 loss the next. I think consistency, to go back to this thing about Busquets, is going to be what's most difficult to keep from match to match without him. Where, again, Barcelona might be high-flying and look great, but then they're going to look awful. And they might lose results because they don't have somebody who can be that pivot, who can be that metronome, who can calm everybody down in the way that he did from the base of the midfield. So that is certainly my guess for the guy that debuted on the 13th of September back in 2008 when Coach Pep Guardiola, who was still getting a lot of flack and questions about him if he was really ready for the first team job. He decided to put him in the first team squad for the second league game of the season at home against Racing Santander. And again, the rest is history. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. And I guess the last thing about Busquets, but I'd love to have a conversation with, about this with somebody else, but who should replace Busquets? And the names that you keep hearing are the ones that keep popping up. Sofan Amrabat, whose contract expires next season, and Fiorentina are in their rights to ask for $25 million or so for him. So I do question that one. We've seen Guido Rodriguez of Real Betis name being thrown about. And that really tells me that Barcelona are already saying, hey, if we can't get some of our top targets, Kule's for a year or two, you might have to settle for, we'll say, the backup option. And if Guido Rodriguez was the man to say, not to replace Busquets, but picked for that role, then that means that Frank and Young is starting as a defensive midfielder for Barcelona, and they are likely converting back to a 4-3-3 for next season. Of course, Martin Zubamendi 
is the name for Real Sociedad, but Barcelona have many times over, respected journalists have said it, and the club has kind of hinted at themselves that messy or not, viability plan or not, doesn't matter. They are not going to be able to afford Zubamendi for next season and whether he stays the next year for Real Sociedad. And we've seen it too. It's not just about Arsenal and their EPL coming for Zubamendi. You look at the way that Arzabal has credited that club with his development and signed on for times and times when other clubs could have taken him for more money. And a player like that and other players around Real Sociedad that are part of that club for many years have decided to stay. And Zubamendi reasonably might want to do the same. They're a club that has that culture, that become hometown heroes. And Zubamendi seems like a guy that wants to do that, and I can't fault him for that. There's also another name, Manuel Aguerte, for Sporting CP. It's a name that I always see on the internet, but just like the attacking midfielder Arda Guler uh, from Turkey, I feel like that name has only ever come from fans and not really people with any connection to the club. So I do, when it comes to Aguerte or even Guler, like, I'm not sure about those rumors. Like You can point to one for me, sure, from a few months ago or something, but I feel like people take those maybe even created by agents, rumors, and then really run with them and they're a player that they like. And Aguerte's always been that list. Alan Varela might be the same thing. I haven't heard that name in months. Again, I'm, it's a player that I've watched because I saw those rumors. I like that player. I, I, I'd be comfortable with him, but it's a rumor I've not seen for a long time. So that's why I can't continue to harp back on it. And then when it comes to even the metrics, PSV, Ibrahim Sangere, a bit older. And I do think Barcelona do want, looking at Amabat or Zubamendi, a player that is entering their prime. It is 24 to 27. They do not want to start over with Lavia of Southampton or a player who's 18, 19, 20 years old. They do want to trust their academy that their next great Busquets, if you will, is down there. Either it's Pau Prim or whoever it may be at the Juvenil Bay or Juvenil A or whatever from 17 to 19 years old. I think they're expecting one of those players to kind of be the next Busquets eventually, but they want somebody who's in their prime years from, again, 24 to 28 to come in and be a starter for a little while. So that's the rub on Busquets at the moment. Who might even be asked to come replace him? And by say who might be asked, I didn't have an answer for you. So I really don't know what the club is going to do. And unfortunately, as I said, announcing now might mean they lose negotiating power. So there's that thing on Busquets. Next up, we have the audio from the YouTube video that you could have already seen or might already be out. And that is about Barcelona against Espanyol and that rivalry as Barcelona could win the Liga against not their biggest rivals, but their second biggest rivals. So here's that audio. How sweet would it be to win the Liga title against Espanyol? Real Madrid is, of course, Barcelona's greatest rival. And many Kool-Aids, especially those of an international audience, are wondering why so many would care about beating Espanyol to the title. They're a team that are 19th in the standings right now and likely to be relegated for their second time in three seasons. That's a good question worth answering, and that's what we're going to do today. What's in this Barcelona-Espanyol rivalry? The first thing, of course, that makes a good rivalry is location. We're going to get into history, players, all that stuff, but location is the number one above all else. They're just 6.5 kilometers away from each other from stadium to stadium, and that's about a 15-minute drive, give or take. So certainly, location is the biggest deal. And Gerard Piquet, famously in the last few seasons, added some fuel to that fire, saying that, well, even though they're pretty close by, they're over there in Cornea, and this is FC Barcelona, we're located in the city, we're the city's team, and they're the team of Cornea, which of course is not as well-renowned or an international name that anybody would know. While Real Madrid is the team that does fire people up, of course, for most players, especially again, those of Gerard Piquet, who've only ever played for Barcelona, came up in their academy, it's very one-sided. But there are a bunch of players currently even playing for Barcelona in their first team who may not feel the same vitriol at Espanyol than others. And there has been some first team overlap and youth team overlap between the two through the years. The first name to mention is Gustavo Green, 
whose move from Espania AC to Barcelona was a huge move that helped FC Barcelona become the, quote, bigger team in the city. And his move to Espanyol the following year is a major reason why they then won the next Copa Macaya. That was three teams and three titles for Green in the first competition in Catalonia. Other players like Ricardo Zamora, Josep Escola, Zoltan Zibor, Anthony Camps, Lazo Kubala, and Ernesto Valverde. All big names that made the move directly one way or the other. But since 1999, very much like Real Madrid, it's almost a do not touch off limits type situation. Only Jonathan Soriano and recently Martin Brothwaite made the straight jump from one team to another. Everyone else like Felipe Coutinho, Alex Vidal, or Denis Suarez all had other clubs in between. So that move across town doesn't happen that often anymore. At the youth level, because again, kids don't know the heat of a rivalry, things are a bit more back and forth. Two of the more recent and famous examples, Alejandro Balde, who's currently Barcelona's starting left back, and Alex Callado. They cut their teeth in the Academy of Espanol before Barcelona brought them in. A few seasons ago, Carlos Perez would be another example. And it is that most players who arrive to La Masia from another Catalan Academy over the age of like 12 or 13 are usually coming from either Espanol or CF Dom, a Barcelona-based club that only goes up to the U19 level. And speaking of that U19 and Barca Athletic level, Chus Alba and Astanas Pedrola both cut their teeth at Espanyol first before making the jump in their teenage years. Now it's time to go back to where it all began, the Copa Macaya, the first Catalan championship taking place, the first competition in Catalonia all the way back in 1900, so 123 years ago. That first iteration of the competition, the final club of the original four that formed the Football Asocio de Catalonia in November of 1900, was Sociedad Española de Football, which today, after some name changes, is better known as Espanol. Copa Macaya, named for España's honorary president, Alfonso Macaya, who donated the Macaya Cup trophy for what was the first regulated football competition in Spain, took place as the first ever Catalan competition, as I said. Any team in Spain could register, but due to travel, only one non-Barcelona-based team registered, that being Club Tarragona. So in January of 1901, the Copa Macaya began at Barcelona's field at the Hotel Casanovas, and Espanyol withdrew after the first round, contesting suspicious refereeing in favor of España after losing to them 2-0. And adding to that the Gustavo Green element eventually, it should be reminded, and you can go back and look at my History of Football in Catalonia video, that Hispania AC could have very well been that third giant of Barcelona football, or they really honestly were the first team on top when it came to Barcelona, Espanyol, and Espania SC. So again, shouts to them, a team that's been gone for over 100 years. But before they did exit the competition because of all that, the first Derby Barcelona was contested, a 4-1 win for Barcelona on January 27, 1901. Espanyol's badge at the time was red and white, and their jerseys were also yellow. The change came in 1910 as they modeled their new colors after the coat of arms Roger of Loria, a defender of the kingdom of Aragon 800 years ago. Next came the Copa Barcelona in 1903, which was won by FC Barcelona. Their only non-wins in the competition came in two 2-2 draws with Espanyol, a precursor to the rivalry. By that point, Espanyol was gaining some steam though, having won the 1903 Copa Macaya, the final incarnation of that competition under that name. In 1912 came a big division between the two because Espanyol were given their title of Real that year. They're officially RCD Espanyol because they do have world distinction. In 1912, it was given to them by the monarchy of the time, King Alfonso XIII. This being the first time that Espanyol was directly connected to the central government in a way that Barcelona would never be in their entire history. While their early history was a bit more about football spectatorship and less about fanhood and having to kind of pick a side, the defining moment did come in 1923 And it wasn't all about Franco. Not all of Spanish history is about Franco. 
The beef between Barcelona and Espanyol actually came with a guy who came right before General Franco, and that is Miguel Primo de Rivera, the dictator of Spain from 1923 to 1930. Barcelona was also pro-Catalan and anti-central authority, and you don't need to look any farther than the incident at Le Court in 1925 that forced Juan to resign to embody that. Espanyol's, we'll say, lack of rejection of the regime created a divide between the two clubs. In 1918, Barcelona joined a campaign to request a statute of autonomy for Catalonia from the Spanish government. Barcelona became the champion of the campaign, and Espanyol didn't take part. And all those little things from 1918 around there to 1930 did start to create this rivalry and negative emotions between the two sides. After that, and continuing to this day, Espanyol does have complaints that the media and press in Catalonia do favor Barcelona. And the targets aren't just small press, it's big press too, like TV3. And Espanol, while they probably do have a point, obviously the clicks and the videos and the views and all that stuff do come for FC Barcelona more than they do Espanol. But it's still a gripe that can be a bit fair with Barcelona and Espanol both being Catalan sides, but Espanol not really being spoken about and treated as a Catalan side. Let's go back again just a little bit to talk about the Catalan Championship, because one of the things that does make this rivalry so good is how long it's been going on. Back in 1903, with the end of the Copa Macaya, the Catalan Football Championship was actually contested, with it being the official Catalan League Championship. And from 1903-04 to 1939-40, both those titles won by Espanyol, by the way, there were only five total clubs to win the competition. Barcelona won it 21 times, and Espanyol won it 11. But their rivalry kicked into second gear in 1929, when they were two of the three founding members of the Liga from Catalonia, CE Europa being the other one. So they are meeting on April 27th, 1929, 94 years ago, is seen now as the first official meeting between the two clubs because it is the competition that is still ongoing to this day. And that match finished with a 1-0 win for Barcelona, with Espanyol getting the 1-1 draw at home later in the season. But because of Espanyol's usual place in the league table, it's hard to actually recognize too many memorable moments in this rivalry that actually took place on the field between those two. One of the big ones doesn't really have much to do with Espanyol, but more with Barcelona's history, and that's the debut of Lionel Messi. October 16, 2004, Messi debuted for Barcelona. It was a 1-0 win over Espanyol at the age of 17 years, 3 months, and 22 days. Coming off the bench for the match's goal scorer Deco in the 82nd minute, and playing alongside Iniesta, who was also a substitute in the game, Xavi, Ronaldinho, Carlos Puyol, and Victor Valdez, all for the first time. Messi, unsurprisingly, has the most goals in the derby with 25, and Xavi has the most appearances with 36. Some of the other big notable dates is 1939 when Barcelona lost their only La Liga home match opener ever, and that being to Espanyol. And then came the one time since all the old yesteryear that these two teams contested the trophy. That was a 1956-57 Copa del Rey, another 1-0 win for Barcelona, which winds up being one of those score lines that keeps coming up in this rivalry. For Kool-Aids in the 21st century, this rivalry has been defined by two players more than any other. You could give me Gerard Moreno or Oscar Duarte or a bunch of players that have played for Espanyol for a number of years, but no, it's two guys. It's Real Tamudo and it's Sergio Garcia. Real Tamudo was the Espanyol striker who won a La Liga title for Real Madrid without ever playing for them. Late in the 2006-07 season, Barcelona and Madrid were tied on 72 points with Sevilla sitting on 70. Madrid had the head-to-head advantage, but drew 2-2 with Real Zaragoza in a match going on at the same time as the Catalan derby. But Tamudo scored in the last minute and immortalized himself as an opponent of the Balgrana, as if his 340 other appearances for Espanyol didn't already do the trick. 
The other choice was Sergio Garcia, also of Espanol and a former Barcelona player who was accused of racially abusing Samuel Umtiti and was a constant thorn in the Barcelona side once he got that ponytail in a bun and was ready to score goals against his deepest rival. But the big picture here, probably why it's taken me six years to give credit to this rivalry, is because of how lopsided it's been and how lopsided it probably will always be with Espanol going down to the second division, and who knows when they'll be back up. In the Liga, the Copa del Rey, the Spanish Super Cup, and the Intercities Ferris Cup, which technically became the Europa League, Barcelona has 125 wins, 44 losses, and 46 draws against Espanol. In all those competitions we talked about that don't exist anymore, Barcelona has 43 wins, 28 losses, and 17 draws. Espanol hasn't beaten Barcelona, though, at the Camp Nou since 2009. And Barcelona has not lost to Espanol in the Catalan Derby in 24 times dating all the way back to 2009, as I just mentioned. Espanyol also was sent down by Barcelona three years ago, as the Parakeets were trying to avoid their first relegation since 1993, 30 years ago. Yet even then, they bounced right back to the league in 1994. In fact, Espanyol has only been relegated five times, returning to the top division the next year every single time. So I think that does sum up this rivalry pretty well, that Espanyol are always there to be a thorn in the side of Barcelona, but very rarely do they get the better of their city rival. And of course, Espanyols will always feel like this is a bigger rivalry to them than it is to Barcelona. The feeling is for Kules that Barcelona always has bigger fish to fry. But frying those parakeets is something that is important to Kules, especially those in Catalonia. So this matchup coming up this weekend is a big one for both these sides as always, and history is on the line again. All right, and now rounding this out with some of these listener questions, we got one from Matt. Who would you rate higher potential-wise at 15, Ansu Fati or Lamine Yamal? At 15, they were entirely different players. Ansu was just a goal scorer. That guy was lethal. You think he just learned how to strike a ball when he turned 16 and got called up to the first team when he was 16? I don't think so. Ansu Fati was just a goal scorer. And Lamine Yamal can do a lot of different things. He's very versatile. Yes, he can score goals, but one of the big questions for him at the top flight level is going to be whether or not he can score goals and how he's going to score those goals. What positions will he put himself in to score those goals? When Ansu Fati came up, you could tell that guy could score a banger. And I just don't think Lamini Mall is going to at least begin his career in that way. I think he's going to begin his career in the first team more as a facilitator and a chance creator. So Matt, I am kind of going to not ignore your question, but say that they are actually very, very different players, even though they both debuted on the left wing. And Lamini Mall is actually a right winger as well. So how he fits in a Xavi or whoever the manager of Barcelona might be when Lamini Mall does become a regular first team player, we'll have to see how he's utilized. And I say what the function and the goals of his role will be, but I just think they're different potential-wise. So for Ansu and Lamini Mall, I think it's very similar potential as well. I guess Ansu had lesser potential, but that's not necessarily the case. He had come up with a class like Takafuzu Kubo and Eric Garcia. So he was in what you'd say a vaunted class with a bunch of talented players, where Lamini Mall, yes, there are very talented players in his age group, but he's just so far beyond everybody else in the academy right now in terms of the age group that he plays against that I think people will say that potential-wise, the club values him with higher potential, in a way that Ansu Fati went right from the U19, just like Gabi, and skipped right into the first team. Lamine Mall is probably going to play some with Barca Athletic next season. Again, still as a 16-year-old person. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's just a matter of what the first team needs. And I'd say the higher potential is Lamine Mall at 15. But again, Ansu made more sense with the first team at 16. So yeah, again, we're, we're splitting hairs on those kind of things. Now, Poncho. Which Barca Athletic, he's a side, but I think player is knocking on the first team next season. Also, how do you rate Rafa Marquez first year? Barca Athletic are sitting fourth in a playoff spot after a nice little stretch of unbeaten games, 13 to be exact. And what I like that Rafa Marquez seems to be doing is teaching them how to win. 
And so tactically, I cannot speak too much to it. I think the third division is really difficult to extrapolate how players fit tactically because it very much is just kind of a fight down there. But the fact that he has his young players fighting in that third division, I think at least is something to be said of Rafa Marquez in his first year in charge. But to answer your first question about which are knocking on the first team next season, I think left winger Estanis Pedrola would be the answer. Chadi Riyad, Mark Casado, and Arnaud Tanas are the other names that most people already know, but I think you'll see them in the limited times you see them, and I'm not sure if they're going to get many more minutes after that. Right winger Lucas Roma was bought in January, and the 19-year-old Argentine has one goal in nine appearances with some first-team training, but he has had a bit of trouble really acclimating, which totally makes sense, being bought in January, coming from South America, totally makes sense for that kind of player. Alex Garrido played between the U19s and Barca Athletic, has been injured quite a bit this season, but he's a midfield name and he's already made his first team debut, as you saw. The leading goals contributors for Barca Athletic, though, that's where it gets interesting. There were Victor Barbera with eight goals, who was on his way to Club Bruges. Pedrola, who has eight goals, I already mentioned. Luis Mi Cruz had the most goal contributions. He's a 21-year-old inverted right winger on loan from Sevilla, so Barca won't benefit from him after this season, likely. Six goals, seven assists from him. Same as Roberto Fernandez, the center forward with six goals, who was on loan from Malaga. Right back, Alvaro Nunez, 22 years old, was bought from Bilbao Athletic. He has six assists and was a starter, but he doesn't really have a first-team ceiling. And then Julian Araujo was bought for $4 million. So that's the right back probably even next year that you're going to tap for the first team because if he's still at the club... Obviously, Barcelona spent $4 million on him, and you'd want to try to see him get some chances with the first team, especially with Barcelona likely. I don't know. Messi, if they need a pivot, are they going to be able to afford a right back? Yeah, probably not. So Junior Rajo might be the answer there. And then the, last question, and then the last question I'm going to answer here, just based on time from Tom, which players do you think will realistically leave the club this summer? I've said it a bunch. I just There's a part in my gut. I would hate to see it. I don't want to see it happen. But I do think Ansu Fati is going to leave FC Barcelona this summer. And obviously, the other answer is either Ferran Torres or Rafinha. One of the two will leave. And again, based on amortization, even though the rumors of Ferran Torres make more sense, I do actually think the answer is Rafinha. I think that there's something tying him to Deco in that situation. And I don't know, because it could go either way. Deco becoming sporting director would mean that, of course, Rafinha is his guy. Why would he possibly ship out Rafinha? Or the case might be, it's a final farewell to everybody. Deco is an agent, gets a huge bag with a commission from the EPL if you get Rafinha to be sold for 70 or 80 million to whoever will take him. And that also frees up that spot on the right wing. I mean, is he going to play attacking midfielder? Who knows? But anyway, right winger spot goes to Messi. So that comes from Rafinha leaving along with Ansu Fati. And then I don't know, from the midfield, you're losing Busquets. That's guaranteed. So now is Frank Kessie really gone? I'm not sure because between Gabi, De Young, I mean, Pablo Torre is likely to go out alone, so that's another name for you. But then again, Pedri and Gabi and De Jong, there's really no other midfield options, so Kessi, you'd, you'd want to keep, even if you brought in Gundogan. You'd have what would continue to be a six-man rotation. Again, remember that Busquets, as I said in the Busquets segment, did play top five minutes in the club this season, so they're going to need to bring in people to eat up some minutes, and Gundogan in his 30s, not somebody you're going to trust him to do that, so Kessi, you'd hope in year two, can evolve a bit more. So I actually don't see Kessie leaving the club. And then I guess on the back line, pick a name. I think Alba's sticking around. I think Alonzo's sticking around. Roberto's renewing. Christensen, why would you possibly get rid of him? I mean, unless FFP is such a problem, but I do think that the club is going to manage to figure this out because I haven't really mentioned anybody else coming in. As I said, the messy plan they want to do, and that would only be because Ansu and Rafinha were kicked to the curb. 
And I guess the only name on the back line that would leave would Eric Garcia. But I also don't know how much the club is going to get from him. So I could actually see Inigo Martinez. I know they want to bring him in. So I guess it'd be Eric Garcia out, Inigo Martinez in. And I mean, that's a swap that Kool-Aid would probably like to see. Left-footed, experienced center back, takes the place of Eric Garcia, who, you know, I like him, but most Kool-Aids are completely out on him. So that's pretty much it that I could see leaving the club over the summertime. So as of today, if you had to say who would I predict would leave, Ansu, Rafinha, Pablo Torre, and Eric Garcia would probably be the four that I would see most likely, based on everything, to leave the club. Oh, and Busquets, of course, (laughs) number five. So that's an easy one. So yeah, five players out. I guess you'd say five players in, and I think that's going to be the transfer window done right there. So apologies again. I didn't have a guest today, and apologies. I did mean that it got this show out a little bit late on a Friday here, but I do appreciate everybody who's been with me, and I have been told that you're fine with the listener questions. You're fine with some of the solo stuff, so I really appreciate that feedback that doesn't bolden me to do things like this. So again, I appreciate that. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook group, Patreon, merch store, YouTube. You know where to find us as well as TikTok. So thanks for listening to the show. Next time, we'll talk to you soon. Sports Barca. 